welcome everyone to the X Factor Files podcast. I'm Daryl. I'm Philip. How's it going today? It is a sunny and yet sleepy day. Mm. I, but it was a two servings of breakfast kind of day too. Mm. Asta has fully embraced nap mode. Yeah, she's a little round loaf right now, but previously she was fully on her side. Just palsies in the air. <laughs> If you did not know better, you'd think something would be wrong with her. But no, she's just living her best nap life. Yeah, she was uh, leaning into getting rid of the Sunday scaries. I mean, leaning is correct. She could no longer be upright, so she had to tip over. Yes. And who hasn't been there? Yes. We are here for Star Trek Unlimited number two. It is a double-sized issue. Again. It is thick. It is. Um, and like some of our other things that we review on this podcast, um, not available digitally at all. So we have the paper copies, um, and because we're going to get that way in Alpha Flight at a certain point. Oh, that's where true. It's not on Marvel Unlimited. And something that you typically find in dollar bins. Yes. If you're lucky, like these are more rare to run across Star Trek comics. The Marvel. Yeah. DC, like DC Star Trek is everywhere. And I feel their value has increased over the past few years in some regards, depending on where you go. I could see that with the popularity of Discovery and Strange New Worlds. Yeah. And I guess Picard and Prodigy. Yeah. Which were not our favorites, but. Yeah. Strange New Worlds. What a riot. And what else? Do do we have any updates? I'm getting my first cosplay in the mail pretty soon. It's true. Which is exciting. Um, We're going to C2E2. Yeah. Ooh, big announcement. Oh, it is? Yeah, we haven't announced it yet, but it's okay because this is going to be posted at like the beginning of March-ish. Cool. So at that point, it's like a month and a half away. I need to get the dates on my calendar. You definitely do. I also need to ask for that Friday off since um, Chicago is like six hours away. Yeah. Like my friend's place is six hours away, basically. Which is now the extent of our road tripping abilities, like which is wild that it used to be so much more. You used to be so much more. But I guess when I was in college and going to conferences and stuff, like if you went to like the middle of nebraska it was like 10 hours yeah in a van with a bunch of other college students like i could never yeah grand junction to the farm 14 hours and i only made two stops and now what we cannot really like at the end of a drive to chicago or back from chicago we're like we're done everything was popping everything is moving slower than it should yeah It's, it's it's rough it is like you're not as comfortable as you think you can be yeah. in the car. So yeah. That'll be exciting to go there. We're just doing Saturday of the con. Yeah. I guess I'm doing Iceman. Yeah. I don't know if I can get Zagreus or Damon Hellstrom together. Oh. Yeah. I have to cut out the pattern of the jumpsuit I want to wear. Oh yeah. So maybe I'll do that later today. Dear listener, <laughs> listeners, hopefully it's more than one. <laughs> Uh, should I focus on Zagreus or Damon Hellstrom? Oh, Zagreus from where? From Hades. Which is a video game. It's so good. 
Um, but yeah, there's like a toga thing. There's little skull things. Mm-hmm. Um, I should probably hit up maybe the 3D printer person that our friends know. Mm, yeah. Like those skulls seem hard. Yeah. And I don't even know where to get the phone that you would carve. Yeah. And I'm doing the no plastic challenge right now. So you're on a bunch of challenges right now. Well, it's for work and we get points for being ecologically friendly. Yeah. So that's some of the stuff is really easy to do um others are more complicated like make your own deodorant and toothpaste which i mm-hmm. i'm not at that point yet like but i do your, like the natural stuff making your own toothpaste would be difficult um i've seen people do it in little reels oh like baking sodas involved somehow yeah but i feel like you don't want too much because you don't want to scrape away your teeth yeah um and other things like reuse big plastic bags that you already have and yeah. use those as trash bags. So our litter bags. Yeah. A ghost of litter bags past that I've been saving up to put used litter in to distribute to people who knew need compost. Mm-hmm. We could just use those as trash bags. Yeah. Also toward a trash and recycling place. It was super smelly, but also super cool and also horrifying mm-hmm. that we generate so much. Yeah. So PSA, do not throw lithium batteries into your trash. It's like every week there's a major fire because of a lithium battery. That's scary. Yeah. And it's a place that's already full of stuff. Mm. So. I'm glad that my work does industrial composting because I feel I have so little waste. Yeah. At Colorado, there was no campus recycling where I worked. It was... Mm-hmm. I got there and was so confused, which is how I ended up with a whole closet full. Because I just stored it, not knowing what to do with it until I found the location that the city had. And then you had to sort it into like... Everything. Eight different types. And here in the metro, it's just everything all at once. And it's better to keep it loosely bagged, like a paper bag, Mm -hmm. versus trash that you do want to keep bagged. Yeah. That way... Eventually, when they get to single stream organics with your trash, they can identify the organics bags and oh, pull them out. Yeah. And it's not just like heaps of garbage. That makes sense. So, you know where there isn't garbage? <laughs> Star Trek. Yes. So we, uh, with this double size issue, just like our last Star Trek episode, we have one story from the original series and one story from the next generation. Yes. Where they have matter reclamators. Yes. Which do not actually feature at all in either of these stories. They don't. But we there's they exist. But they're still trash. They're yes. So we start out with the TOS story, Action of the Tiger. No tigers were harmed in the making of this comic. And it's a very okay, so original series episode titles really don't make sense to no. the episodes. This is sort of continuing. Although the, there's a very few that do, and it's this issue references one that actually yes. does make sense. Yes. By and large, no. So this is written by Dan Abnett and Ian Edginton, penciler Mark Buckingham, who's doing great work. Inker Kev Sutherland and colorist Kevin Summers, also doing great work. Bill Felix Letterer, so on and so forth. Bob Harris, editor-in-chief. And we get this nice title page, and it's got 
Starbase and four different ships that you can... Oh, no, three different ships. They're sort of parked outside. Yes. They I also... forget that these. this is the era of Outpost where it's like a little tripod stand in the bottom mm. with little pods and then the main. Yeah. And it, there's a nice ad on the back of the front cover for ABC Saturday Mornings with Doug. And the Mighty Ducks. Yeah. Which I think was, this would much have been before Pepper Ann and Recess. This is, I mean, the on the cover it says January 97. So maybe just before. Yeah, because Doug carried over into the other two. And but... Doug was originally from Nickelodeon. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh. So he came from Nickelodeon to ABC. And yeah. then at Pepper Ann and Recess, I think, started in like fall 97. Because I don't remember them overlapping with the Mighty Ducks all that much. No. I was not into the hockey puck sport. No, I don't. I don't think I ever watched the Mighty Ducks cartoon. And then the other ones they're advertising, like, I don't. Flash forward, Bone Chillers, Disney's Jungle Cubs, Bugs Bunny and Tweety Show, Gargoyles, colon, The Goliath Chronicles. I don't remember any of those. No, I thought Gargoyles was 29, Fox 29. In the Twin Cities. In the Twin Cities. Well, yes. But like um, the Fox uh, affiliate, because it was like that, Beetleborgs, Mystic Knights, and Power Rangers. So oh. Maybe reruns. Oh, maybe. Yeah. So we've got some ships. And we have our queen, NCC-1701. No bloody <laughs> A, B, or C. And the USS Fermat, which is wild because it's like in very courier font. Mm which doesn't quite match the Enterprise and something else down below. And we get a very dashing Captain Kirk, legs spread, hands on hips. Everyone's in dress uniforms. It's a fancy meeting. Yes. Everyone's there for a fancy meeting. <laughs> Perfect opportunity to meet up again with some old friends and adversaries. Boop, boop, boop. Foreshadowing. <laughs> boop, boop. And we have Chekhov. With his eye kipton and a yeoman. Which I sort of forgot that Chekhov was the head of security. I did too, because I thought that he was always bumbling, mm. which is not a characteristic I would associate with a chief of security. Odo would never. Because Sulu is navigation? Yes. I, for some reason, I thought Chekhov was navigation and Sulu was like more the pilot. And not worrying about navigation, but I guess. Oh, yeah. Like, Chekhov would chart the course. Right. And Sulu would make it happen. Yes. Did one of them have phasers and one of them have torpedoes? Or one of them would have shield to the other one? Maybe Chekhov had all the weapons. I feel like Sulu did at some point, too. Well, whatever. Dear listener, let us know. Here, it says that Chekhov is head of security, and we're going to go with it. Yeah. And off we go. Um, Yeoman Pharaoh. Of the very tall hair. Yeah, she has like that conical, gigantic, not quite a beehive. Oh, I was going to say it's bigger than a beehive. It is. But it's also in this more angular. Yes. So they're on the transporter pads and they're met by some Commander Baines. I've yet to come across a character with the name Baines that hasn't been some sort of foil. Mm. And there's some weird feelings happening. Like, Pharaoh and Chekhov are very curt with their greetings. And, yeah, they're going through the hallway. Kirk has a disgruntled face because this Admiral Stone, who is stingy on details, 
is now an admiral versus a captain from before. And he's running this meeting. Yes, with a bunch of other captains. That's why all these ships are around. And Chekhov has a, a good uh, colloquialism here. Um, didn't he provide, preside over your court-martial a few years ago of the TOS episode, court-martial? Yes. Thank you, footnote. <laughs> and Kirk is like, yes, he had that distinction, although I, I, it was proved I was framed. And Chuck was like, but mud still sticks. Mm. So that's fun. And also Chekhov's face, like, he looks like he's 12. Yes. I would say that the art is not great for Chekhov. Great for the ships. Yes. And for Pharaoh's hair. Yes. She's making it work. It, I have seen um, the crew represented better in art. Mm. And yeah, Pharaoh makes a comment about, oh, you're comfortable in your uniform. Maybe it has something to do with that third helping of borscht that you had mm. before we left. And Chekhov thinks he saw something out of the corner of his eye. I just taught I saw. Mm. And there's Klingons down the hallway. And you're like, where? Who invited you? Especially for a meeting of all these captains, how would Klingons get aboard? Yeah. So later, all these captains are sitting around. We've got an Andorian. I always feel like Tellarites and the other ones are not well represented Mm. in the upper ranks. It's a big conference table. Everyone's... Paying attention to this admiral. And it's been going for five hours, and that concludes item 15. And they'll have a break after item 16. What is this meeting about? It is about... Is it on the first page? Stuff. It's about something. I thought it was mentioned. On the actual first page. Oh. Briefing on the findings of the Federation's recent Klingon Neutral Zone Policy Summit. Okay. So, so it already sounds dry. Yes, and it's about the Klingons. Yeah. Somehow. Because everything is about the Klingons. Yeah. And maybe I just need to accept that, since they are not my favorite alien. Mm. But this Admiral Stone, like, I don't know where he's from. He has very pointy eyebrows. Well, maybe that's just him. And... We can watch Court Martial after this. Oh. Is that the one about Pike, though? Mm, Mate, no. Oh, the other dude who's bitter. Sure. So, as item 16 gets rolling, Kirk does a little mental checklist of who was all here. And so we've got Ted Horner, who helped him cheat on the Kobayashi Maru. Rewritten. Yes. In 2009. So they could, oh, yeah. And as I'm about to get going on item 16, the Klingons barge in. I am Korga, your conqueror, and Kalis Willing, your executioner. Uh, you skipped over where someone left the room. Oh, Baines left the room. Immediately before. He is required elsewhere, and it won't take long. Mm-hmm. Sketchy. So sketchy. Like, right off the bat, you know that... Baines is having something to do with this. Yes. Very sus. So outside we have a Miranda class because of course we do. 
Um, and Uhura reporting in that all the background chatter from the station has ceased. Mm. Uhura like knows her stuff. She does. Like so what? Normal everyday things just don't stop for no reason. And Sula reports that Starbase 6 has just raised her shields and her defense grids went online. And there's a transmission from Korgu. Korga. They have taken the station in the name of the Klingon Empire. Its significant defenses are now ours. Furthermore, we're holding the station's crew hostage, including our commanding officers. Interfere, they die. And we demand the Federation return the colonies of Folodon 9 that were stolen from us. You have six hours to comply. After that, the culling begins. Mm. So Spock cools a cucumber, per the usual, informs Starfleet, and get a conference link with the other cap- acting captains of the other Federation vessels. And points out that this amounts to an act of war by the Klingons. Mm-hmm. And we know that Klingons are short-tempered. Yes. And not great relationship in the original series era at all. Oh, this is a strategy that was used in Deep Space Nine, which would have come out before this comic book. Mm-hmm. When in season three, the Klingons are like, we demand these colonies be returned to us. And everyone in the Federation is like, they haven't been contested in like 150 years. So they're all in a cargo bay, which storing all that stuff. Captain, I was thinking, tis all wrong. It would take more than just a couple, a single Klingon strike team to seize control of this station so totally. I mean, where did they get the command codes with K's needed to operate its defenses? And Admiral Stone is like, your man has a point, Kirk. And they come up with a strategy which requires a diversion, of course. Yes. Uh, There are some extractor ducts that run past the wall casing. So uh, Kirk is like, I'm going to shimmy in those. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Getting in that hole. Yes. Uh, Admiral, you do the distraction. He's like, I got this. I'm very good at distractions. And uh, Kirk's friend. Ted Horner comes along for the ride. He's like, come on. Kobayashi Maru crew. He do, he actually says that. <laughs> and they hop in. Chekhov's still looking like he's 12. Good luck, Kiptons. And I still just love that the Admiral is just like, I'm so good at distractions. I thank you for this assignment. I understand. Back on the ship, um, Spock is talking to the other acting commanding officers on the ships and yes the dauntless the eagle the republic and the fermat so the andorian i like the captain with the long swooshy hair like she looks badass yes and spock is lamenting how emotions are raining rather than logic and the andorian comes up with the plan that they all attack the station even though it's the administrative center for the region, so its defenses are significant. Mm. It is designed to hold out, even with a small fleet attacking. So Spock is like, great, love it, give me an hour, and then we'll get to that plan. Yeah. So So he's buying time for himself to do something Spockish. Yes. Which, coincidentally, allows Kirk to do something Kirkish. Or Hornerish, depending. So... 
they pop out and they ambush like they see these klingons and they're like oh there they go down the hallway they bounce down shockingly th- there's not the patented kirk two-handed punch yeah love the two-handed punch only see it in star trek so there's some cracks check womp some daggers go flying klingons are not great warriors in this instance they are not and so off they go and we see this other funky little ship uss baker which is inside of the starbase getting loaded up with stuff it's weird like those klingon warriors were loading cargo aboard her but not just any cargo but security crates of Andorian exchange units from the station's vault and so they figure out like this was totally made up like these are brigands which explains why Baines and Korga are acting like best buddies. He must have supplied them with the defense command codes. And for those of you who have played the Star Trek 25th anniversary computer game on your Mac way back when, he also got them the prefix codes to all the ships so that you can take over their systems. It was like the second to last step before none of us could figure out how to advance. Oh. It was very sad. Um, but... They're here, they are shooting some Klingons, and Ted Horner gets it. Yeah, he's vaporized. It's very sad. Especially because they take the time to put the text in the box that these Klingon disruptors don't have stun settings. Yeah. So Kirk is about mid-curse. You Klingon, bah. And the whole balcony that he's standing on gets shot up and collapses. And Baines is there to wake him up. And he's just a bitter little pill. He is. He's like, I have been in charge of this station. All I do is paperwork. And I I have been up for promotion like a million times. I'm always passed over. Yeah. And these Klingons are just looking to make some profit. And somehow, like, I don't understand how you go from, like, being passed for promotion a few times to try- wanting to start a war. And right, Baines just, are. like, disregards that plot hole and is like, Korga, do what you must. So he is getting ready to execute Kirk. And I'll, there's a shocking scree. And Admiral Stone is there. Uh, so <laughs> I also love that Admiral Stone is like, don't think you're the only one who's capable of staging an escape. <laughs> Good for them. Yes. So uh, who did he shoot? Korga. Oh, the Klingon's dead. Yes. He is a smoking pile of ashes. Yes. Uh, but they're not in time to keep the Baker from untethering from the Starbase. Yes. So it's on its way with its cargo. It's trying really hard to be an ambassador class ship. Like it's got a saucer mm. section, like a squat little secondary hull. And then the cells are pointed up. But it just looks like a bunch of tubes. Yeah. Um, poor thing. So it's it can go out there and it has command code. So all the ships out there are disabled. Right. All they can do is watch. Enterprise, uh, Eagle, Fermat. Fermat. They all can't do anything. As this little USS Baker NCC 1996 
I wonder if that's when this was drawn. It was, because this is January 97, so. Oh, good for them for putting that in there. Yes. And huh, Spock is like, just as I anticipated. And on the ship, on the Baker, Baines is ready to go to warp, and there are multiple contacts dead ahead, and it's Klingons. Oh. The Baker does not get the shields up fast enough. Nope. And Bakum. Those Klingon disruptors. Which is really too bad that they had to destroy a ship. Right? Like, especially with the newer design. Yeah. But we see that little, like, attachment. That little, Extra little cargo hole. Little, little bow on top. Yeah. It comes back for the Nebula class. Which is so And it, So the Klingons call in to Spock. And the... <laughs> They're like, the Klingon High Command appreciates your contacting them. Korga and his brigands brought shame to all Klingons. We must meet sometime. I know a drinking song that'll crack your stony visage. Also, I love that in Strange New Worlds, Spock ends up drinking with Klingons often. Mm. And by often, I mean twice. I mean, out of 20 episodes total. Yeah. I'd say that's often. It's wild how those two seasons of Strange New Worlds does not even equal a normal Star Trek season. I know, for back in the day. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So we actually see, like, a happy Klingon moment in the original series timeline. Yeah. They And then there's a final toast to loyalty, to trust, to honor, to the memory of my friend Captain Ted Horner, who knew about all three. Oh. The end. Not a bad story. No, it's like... a. I it's a good comic book story is what I would say. Yes. Like happy it's here. Yes. It couldn't be an episode. RIP USS Baker. Yes. Yeah. I I don't know if they could stretch it out into a whole episode. There'd have to be a few more instances of hijinks to end on a commercial break. And a lot of more tension between the Admiral and Kirk. Oh like, yeah. They could play up the politicking. Yeah, the drama of like, oh, last time we met. Was a court martial, icy, icy, icy. Yes, but yeah, I thought it was good. Um, I love the ship art. I just love the ships. And on the unkindest cut, oh, did I read the title when I read it? Absolutely not. I didn't either. It <laughs> makes sense by the time we get to the resolution of the story. So, dear listener, keep in mind the title of the story is the unkindest cut. We have a great view of the D. You love the illustrations of the Enterprise D. I like it when the ship doesn't look like a goober, mm. which this I, art is by uh, Ro Randall. Ron Randall. That's, a, that's an N, not a W. Ron Randall. Uh, inker L. Williamson. Colorist Kevin Summers. Letterer Phil Felix. And I think what you said about the Enterprise D in the last episode and right here, it's the colorist. The colorist is doing a beautiful job of shading things. Oh, when yeah. It comes to like the underlighting on the ship. Even like the side of the ship that's planet side, you can see that little front seam that goes up from the deflector dish to the saucer section as like an actual line. Mm. Like a, like you would want on a ship as it parts the water, sort of. Yes. And on one side, you get this sort of greenish, yellowish glow from the planet, which is all set up in greens. Yes. Versus the solar sun side. That's a nice shading on the bottom of the saucer section. So what planet is this? This planet is... Risa. Yes. 
What is Risa? Risa is wonderful, unless you're a wharf. Risa is where Vanessa Williams lives. <laughs> it's the vacation planet in Star Trek. Yes, she killed Curzon Dax with sex. Yes, <laughs> Vanessa Williams. What a queen. Yeah. And for those who didn't know that Vanessa Williams is in an episode of Star Trek. She is. And I used to know her name. And it's, of course, now that we're recording, it's escaping my brain. It's just like Star Trek trivia. Yes. Yeah. We remember it on the car rides home or like when yeah. they read the answers. So they're on Risa. Why are they? They get 48 hours shore leave because they just did something. Yes. They were working to contain the viral pandemic sweeping through the Orcamino system. So what, what I've noticed. So it's mentioned here. Um, our local comic book store comic book college shout out yeah we love them um they uh, take in a bunch of stuff like they've had tons of collectibles i got some star wars figures recently they got a lot of star wars figures like someone offloaded like a mint on card not the way way old ones like 90s and 2000s so part of the force part of the jedi Episode one, episode two. Some really big ones. Yeah, like the doll-sized ones, which I'm sort of tempted to get one of them to put up with um, Barbie Stevie Nicks. Was it Jar Jar? Uh, Well, they don't have Jar Jar anymore. Oh, someone got the big Jar Jar? Yeah, there's one more, but it's like a talking one. So it's not as, like, doll-like. It's more big action figure-like. So do I get, like, a Princess Leia? Oh. Um, Anyway, they uh, took in... There were a random small amount of Star Trek novels there for a while. And I was like, eh, like... Oh, yeah, because we talked about getting me getting a stitch in time. Yes. But the, even before then, like, they had a small box for a couple months. Yeah. It was just sitting there. No, I glanced at it, and I was like, eh, no, these really pique my interest. Oh, yeah, because I took a chance, because I saw the one with the engineering team yeah. and thought that you might not already have it. So yes. that was one of your Christmas presents. Yes, yeah, so you got me book one of that series and they got a bunch more in and for black friday i think i might have talked about this on our last episode here we are talking about it again if so um black friday they had 50 percent off stuff like that so they were a dollar each so i bought a bunch and then they've been at two dollars each since then so i pick up a couple because i am burning through these books um shout out to my fellow podcaster slash reader in reading enthusiast Alicia over at the ex-wife podcast we love the ex-wife podcast um I've also been reading a lot since the new year like I'm on book seven and eight like I'm reading a Star Trek novel and Capote's women right now um for the year I'm already on seven and eight and we're recording this beginning of February that's not too shabby so I picked up books and I look at the back of them and there's a whole series called Double Helix and also random uh, novels all about like epidemics and pandemics. And I'm like, oh, it must have been so exotic for them to write about pandemics like 25 years ago, 30 years ago. And now like we've lived through one and I don't think there will be a Star Trek pandemic plotline. No, not in the near future. It is a helpful device that, like, so many episodes start with, like, a medical run, like, some sense of urgency created by a plague that the ship needs to go send supplies to. Yes. So that they just went through. 
And it was exhausting. Yes. So they get 48 hours shore leave on this pleasure planet. Yes. And we see the crew, some of the crew down on the planet. We have some of them left behind. So we have Data left on the ship. With Worf. And the captain who just, he doesn't enjoy Risa. That's canon from one of the episodes. He just wants to read. He wants time to read in his cabin. Yeah. He got a Jacobian drama. A Jacobian? Jacobian. You think that would have an eye then? Maybe, but he's living his best life in his quarters. But we get Riker, LaForge, Troy, and Crusher down on the planet in the market in, in leisure wear. Yes. The Star Trek is, we have talked so much about just wanting there to be more Star Trek leisure wear. Mm-hmm. Like we get a little bit of it when DS9 goes to Risa with Julian's like purple deep cut wrap tunic top, whatever, mm-hmm. and his like orange, very 90s pattern pants. Oh, what a look. Yes. And what are these looks? So good. Um, so Deanna, she loves Deanna loves a lilac moment. So it's lilac she's, and gray. <laughs> yeah. So it's um a pretty standard cut for her. Uh, non-uniform uniform that she'll wear up on the ship like that broad collar yep um open top of chest but then she's got leggings and it's sort of like drapes yeah the gray wraps or drapes over one hip and gray boots that also have like a wrap um, thing to the that. doctor is looking like jean gray from the back actually a little like bit jean gray colors um she has fishnets on <laughs> She, I don't know if it's that she must because there's a shadow behind her, so her legs must be in the light. But yellow, like mid-thigh dress, short black boots, and a blueish vest thing. Like, yeah, loving it. Jordy is in a green top with a little bit of a V. Yeah, um, but it's a fun combination of dark and light green. Yeah, the shoulder it has shoulder pads because of course it does. Yes, but the green on of the shoulder pads matches the green around his waist, and yeah. it's like Kirk's uh, green tunic, shade of green in between. And uh, the and real star of the show is Riker's leisure. He's got some black boots, some gray blue, pants. Blue boots. I think it's black with the sheen. Oh, like it's the how, coloring. How they do. Oh. And he's got this white shirt, also with a deep V. So like on both him and Jordy, you can see the cleavage mm. shadow of yeah. their pecs. And both of them rocking a little bit of chest hair. And then there's the rubbery looking shoulder pads and this yeah. broad collar as well. It's working. We are living for the, these looks. Like I... I don't know. Like, do we need to reach out to Samantha Ray and be like, can you make this top? I mean, maybe. Because, like, you would need someone who is an expert designer um, for something like this because of the textures of the fabrics. Like, the... The the, epaulettes, we'll call them? Yeah, like the shoulder piece, they're ribbed, so you're going to need quilted. Like, that's a quilted piece that needs to be joined together with a lighter fabric for the white like and the double collar situation yeah, that's happening like that you need really good technical sewing knowledge for some i could not put that together but it looks so fun it does all of them look so fun so 
Uh, Riker is lamenting the fact that they're shopping. There's some classic gender roles here that we don't really need. Basically, he's like, I want to fuck and you girls want to shop. He's like, I have one or two ideas, doctor. Call it a list, actually, as he looks lecherously at some women. At some women. It's Riker. He he gets to fuck. (laughs) It's what he does. So off he goes to schmooze. And Troy's like, he's incorrigible. And Crusher's like, that's one word for it. Yes. So he's trying really hard to schmooze with these women. And who comes up to him? He's like, I just love his mental thoughts in a very small font. Oh, no. Kill me now. Commander Riker. It's Mr. Mott and Barclay. It is. So uh, I do have a note on the coloring for Mott. Um, because obviously when it this is a licensed property, so you get reference photos for these things. And um you draw to the best of your ability based off of that. And maybe like you watched an episode with this person a while ago, but it's not like they have the internet to like stream episodes or anything back then. Right. The coloring on mod is wrong. He is one solid blue and it is consistently portrayed in this issue as half and half. Like, like one's more Robin egg. One is more stormy gray sky yes and it's like um that's not what bullions do no bullions are just a uniform like basically almost electric blue they they do have a seam they do it's just i think that the reference photo was probably in shadow for half of it yeah which is unfortunate because and this is my star trek word coming out because like i don't think many people would complain about this if they didn't know mott I know Mott so well because he's in the stupid collectible card game. No. And it was one of the cards I always had in my deck. And like my friends in like elementary school when we were, we didn't know how to play that fucking game. We just played with the cards. But like Mott was a big deal because Um, he was like an alien. Yeah. So I, I know Mott's face really well because of that card game. Oh. So anyway, aside from this, Barclay. Ugh. Oh, I mean, I do like it when he devolves into a spider. Yeah. It was his best moment as a character. So uh, Mott and Barclay track down Riker. And it's weird, like, the story device here, why Mott would track down Riker in the middle of a marketplace. I feel no, it's a little... He's very busybody-ish. I... Which he is. I recently fell asleep to an episode with Mott in it. Oh. Um... Because Star Trek is like a comfort show, so I can put it on Paramount Plus and fall asleep. Um, it was where, and he references it right here, Mr. Worf's hair. Um, and he is giving Worf a trim. He has very fine locks, if a tad difficult to cut. So the busybody is in character. I just thought it was weird that he was tracking him down in a marketplace. Like, Mott, really? You're I think- on vacation, like, bother Riker the next time you're on the ship. But why bother? Wait until then. You can spot him in the marketplace and be like, buddy, have I got a plan to sell you? Yes. So uh, he's talking about hair. And I love that this panel is just Wrecker's face, like, recoiling away. It's like, I suggest you take this up with Mr. Worf when you get back to the Enterprise. I'm a little busy right now. Ladies, where was I? And they're gone. And they're gone. And there's, like, another panel of, like, a squinty-eyed Riker 
cursing Mott under his breath. Like, it's weird. It's fun that Mott is getting sort of a spot to shine as a character. It's true. I feel like Bullions are another species I want to see more of. Yeah. In Birth of the Federation, they would give you plus 50% espionage points. Because of their cosmetic skills, so they were very good at making you look like the aliens you were trying to infiltrate. Some I feel they made up some of those abilities. Oh, absolutely. In that video game. They're like, it's the 90s. Who's going to know any better? I mean, some make sense. The Edo and the Bajorans are plus one morale empire-wide. Like, you can go to the Bajoran Jalanda Forum or mm. just having that planet of the Edo with their little pink skimpy outfits. Yeah. Was a morale booster. Took 70 energy, though. So we're back on the ship. And the cargo hold. Exciting. Yeah, no hostages this time, but there's a skeleton crew working through uh, the biofilter inventory is almost complete, according to data. I mean, Worf is really living on the edge. There are some very tall stacks of storage containers. There are no blue barrels, though, so we say. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And Worf is crabby. And... Um... Why do we even call that out? Worf is always crappy. Well, Data even calls it out. Uh, would you prefer to go down to the surface with the others? And Worf is like, I would prefer to get on with the work at hand. The delights offered by Riza are not my idea of a good time. And Data is going to ask more about this, but there's a high-pitched sound. It's a frequency that should not be happening. And there's an explosion. Yeah. A there, big... Uh, the tomb. Yeah. Which is not an onomatopoeia that we've seen yet in the comics. And a bunch of people get blasted. And it's not clear where. They're just in the cargo hold. So I don't think they're blasted out the door. Just everyone's thrown. But they were they were on their way out. Oh. Warp was telling everyone to get clear. And the shape is the same as the doorway. Oh, okay. Cargo base had those very big doors. Um, Picard is reading in his ready room. He's like, this is nice. Oh, it's his quarters because there's a plant. Yes. And he's got his leisure outfit, which is like those linen-y shorts and mm. the shirt that it doesn't have buttons or anything. So it's just like yeah. his chest. And he's reciting this drama. Very fancy. Oh, beware, an old man, hot and vicious, vengeance, thou debt of murder, blah, blah, blah. It it's an illusion. Lee bip. And shockingly, the ship isn't rocked by the explosion, and data calling it in to the captain is the first he's heard of it. Which bridge crew? Yeah. What are you doing? Yeah. And Picard is on his way. No fatalities, just wounded. They've already been sent to sick bay. Uh back on the planet. <laughs> I love the shade that Crusher's throwing of, Will, I didn't expect to see you so soon. And Troy smirking with, do I sense frustration? (laughs) (laughs) So good. And Riker's like, how perceptive. Uh, I think I've shaken him off. Lord, I, I don't believe how much that man can talk. And we get a little, and Troy's like, who are you talking about? And there's a side panel of Mott and Barkley. And and of course, Nausikans can be delightful people, but as a species, they have an awful split end problem. <laughs> Very focused on his career. Yes. And 
he's about to hone back in on Riker. <laughs> Troy's like, show no fear, Will. And he's saved by the comm badge. So they're saying no one can come back to the ship until they figure out what happened with the explosion. Um, you are in charge of the people who are down on the planet, which is most of the crew. Yes. Which I think is like hundreds of people. It's got to be the galaxy class is about a thousand people. I think so. So if you're down to a skeleton crew. Yeah. Because I'm sure the families and stuff are planet side. Oh, that's right. Ships with children. Yep. So off we go. Data scanning things in the cargo bay and we find out that it is a liquid explosive that's inert. You just paint it on. Yeah. And once it's exposed to this frequency, it becomes explosive. And that's what it was. Uh, the methods are assassins and saboteurs provided by Worf. Only someone of great expertise could have prepared them, and someone must also be aboard to have given the triggering signal. Mm. So there's someone on board. And on the next page, even in the transporter room, there was a bunch of people already coming back before the no transport order came through. And when they materialized, the pad exploded. And so six crew members are dead. This poor transporter tech is on the ground and wounded. And we have just been upgraded from sabotage to murder. Yeah. And we get an outline of a creature in the hallway that no one has noticed. It's like a more light warping effect. And I was surprised at this point that people died. Yeah. Like, this issue has people actually dying. There are stakes. Yeah. That aren't just like sci-fi stakes. It's like real world stakes. Yeah, I guess so. I didn't. That is not. All, well, they weren't even. I don't know what color shirts they were in the transporter pad. Yeah. So here we are back on the planet. Troy is sort of giving a pep talk to Riker, who is feeling helpless that he should be doing more up on the ship. And Troy's like, no, your job is here. Uh, the crew members stranded on Risa, who need a leader to focus on. And uh, their status update is that everything has been sabotaged. There's little nano mines, So there's no one getting off the Enterprise. Because you try to hop yeah. in a shuttle, it'll just blow up. And... In the panel, it's like he's vanished into the background. And basically everything is booby-trapped. Yes. Everything. But as he's saying vanished into the background, there's another light warping shadowy figure. So there's one, at least one on the ship and one on the planet. Yep. Two to form, we get a captain's log, a supplemental. Which I didn't know what supplemental was growing up watching yeah. Star Trek, and now it all makes sense. Yes. So... Systems have been sabotaged or booby-trapped, and a self-replicating virus has been introduced into the engineering computer, effectively preventing us from either going to warp or impulse drives. More and more, I get the feeling he has trapped us aboard our own ship. And Data comes up with a plan to track the intruder. Because there's a skeleton crew, there's not a whole lot of people on the ship, and because it is a ship, they have to monitor oxygen levels, make sure the atmosphere is appropriate, that... Uh, life support is appropriate for the number of people who are there. Sure. So he has cross-referenced results with crew rosters and come up with an anomalous reading. Like, 
if we know that there's two crew members here, they should be breathing X amount of oxygen. And what's happening in this other room? Like someone is breathing atmosphere there, but there's not supposed to be anyone there. So. And the there in question. Is Mott's barbershop. Yeah. And this is where I'm like, oh, this is a Mott story. (laughs) It was shocking. Yes, To say the least. Like the sort of background characters that are there for comedic relief don't get this sort of attention. No. Unless you're a DS9 episode. Yeah. Morn. Yeah. I love Morn so much. And they go in. The dude who rushes in first says, sir, there's no one here. And he gets phasered. And he dies. And he dies. Yeah. There's more murders happening in a barbershop. So they go in, they're taking cover behind Mott's barber chairs and talking about their stealth armor or personal cloak. And Data's trying to figure out how to find him. He's like, I can triangulate it. It'll be fine. I'll protect my positronic net and be a decoy for you so you can see. And he goes to stand up and his reflection in a mirror is obscured, Mm. which... I wonder if you have a vampire standing in front of you. Do you just see you or do you see the room behind you? Would it work for vampires like it does for this alien? I don't know. But they find him and shoot him. And of course he goes crashing into the mirror. And it's not an alien I've ever seen. No, it's a Fenjax. I don't think we've heard of them. No. But they are known to Klingons as elusive and deadly assassins. It's said if you can get close enough to see one, then you are the victim. And despite their technology, they favor a sacred Nazarene dagger as a tool of execution. To be slain by one's own dagger would be would result in ultimate damnation. And he's using that threat to force the Fenjax to talk. Mm. And he's like, kill me if you will, Klingon. The blood debt will be paid. If I do not slay the world killer, then my nest brother will. So then we find out who the second one is. It's his nest brother. And they're like, who's the target? And we get this picture of Mott panicking. Me? In the name of sanity, me? And back on the planet, we're getting the exposition. They claim to have had a relative who served on a pirate vest that you... have a relative who served on a pirate vessel, which plundered and destroyed a number of colonies. Now the descendants of the victims are seeking vengeance on the blood relatives of that entire pirate crew. And Mott's like, this is ludicrous. My great uncle Toll, rest his soul, was captured by pirates many years ago. He was a barber like me, and they spared his life in return for his services. For 20 years, he worked a pirate ship and only escaped when they were finally destroyed. He was a slave. Those pirates went to their graves with the best-kept hair in Federation space. And Riker cannot believe it. I cannot believe it. <laughs> this is Mott. <laughs> Descended from pirates. Well, person captured by pirates yes. and forced to work. So Riker fills in the captain. The dude tried to escape, so naturally Worf stabbed him. Eternal damnation for that Venjax. Sorry. I'm surprised they didn't go with like that Hunter of Tosk creature from DS9's first season. Well, it would have worked with that plot device. They're like yeah. vengeance. Like a hunter. I don't know. Or the dude from 
lower decks. Mm. Yeah, who hunts for sport and just takes selfies. Yes. So Data's working on fixing the ship. Um, what we did on the ship to track the hunter won't really work on a planet. Number one, you're on your own. Boom, boom, boom. So we're back on Ryza. Troy is trying to comfort Mott, who's like sitting on top this little pedestal. And Ma's like, oh, sure. You don't even have any weapons. This is Ryza, for goodness sakes. The most dangerous thing on the planet is a Gamarian blowfish cocktail. Yeah. Which, fair. And everyone around him is sort of lamenting. We even get Jordy saying it's all set, Commander. I can't guarantee it worked. Yeah, he doesn't have his visor on. So Troy's like, Will, he's here. I sense a presence. Oh, she's very good at sensing presences. Which is why Beta said if they were part of your empire, it was plus 50% internal security. And also, like, one of my biggest angsty moments about Star Trek is, like, where are the Beta Zeds? Yes. Beta Zoids. They should be somewhere. Right? For such a prominent race. That Lower Decks app uh, with Winnie Malik, so good. Apparently it was the first time in 20-some years that there was a Beta Zoid on in an episode since ds9 probably yeah yeah since the pilot of voyager oh and that one dude oh yeah but that was still like season one when he i think season two but still that's like 1996 yeah it's been a while yeah so the dude the brother is there with his knife mud exclaims oh my stars no and as the hunter steps on this fabric, he gets shocked. And it's the same fabric that Deanna was marveling at. Tholian silk. It was on sale. Okay. Yes. And they point out, oh, he's still standing. And we find out that it was a force charge rigged to, um, to travel through the silk because Tholian silk is a great conductor. Yeah. Uh, which I would not wear. <laughs> <laughs> Like, you're tempting fate. Especially in Minnesota winters. They, well, norm, normal Minnesota winters. All the static. Like, you touch anything and you get shocked yep. every single time. Yeah, it would be bad. And Riker just goes full bore. Now it's his turn to improvise and whacks him across, the alien across the face. And Mott's like, is it over? Can I go? And then we get more description. Like, they talk about the silk and the plan. Jordy gets his visor back. And they say as soon as he comes around, we'll get him to answer some questions. And we end with Riker's log, sort of, and some dialogue. Our prisoner will be transferred to Starbase 9 to await extradition, and the captain has sent formal protest to the Fenjex homeworld. And... Picard is saying the Federation will not tolerate spiteful, vindictive, scattershot retribution like this. I hope your people understand that. And the alien says, we are not evil, Captain. We are merely good at our job. Had our employers in this case given us full details, we would not have taken the work. It is clear Mott is an unsuitable quarry. No. Poor Mott. Not even worth killing. No. Um, but we end with Mott tailing after warp. So I was thinking, you see, a barbershop, perhaps a chain of barbershops on the Klingon homeworld. <laughs> Terrific idea. Don't you think, Mr. Worf? Who looks so happy. Yeah. And that's the episode. 
issue. The issue. <laughs> I feel that was more fleshed out than the first one. There's a lot more dialogue. Yeah. And a lot more side detail. Yeah. Like the Tholian silk. Record trying to mac on people. The little facts that they drop into the dialogue of. Oh, it's the greatest insult and results in internal damnation to be stabbed by your own blade. Yeah. I think it, that the TNG story is my favorite of the two from this one. Same. I feel like one of the things we appreciate about DS9 is background characters getting fun random episodes. Yeah. Fun little bottle apps. And this is a fun little bottle comic. It is. Yeah. The And that's what Unlimited is all about. It's basically stories in a vacuum. Yeah. Oh, you know who else could make your shirt? The seamstress who dressed up as Destiny. Yes. Um, at the Uncanny Experience. Yeah. She has binders. Not yeah. of women, but of outfits that she has She's made. Gone. Yeah. And like a lot of them are for people's weddings. Yeah. It was super cool. But yes, those leisure outfits. Yeah. That's my um, main takeaway. Yes. All right. Well, uh, I hope everyone enjoyed us going down the Star Trek road again. It's a fun comic. It is. It's a lot of fun. Star Trek comics, Star Trek media in general is a lot of fun. Yeah. Just meant to entertain. And if you need a quick, fun read, pick up a Star Trek novel. Yeah. If you want some pointers, message us on Instagram at X Factor Files Podcast. We can point you in the direction of a fun story in the comics or in a novel or an episode. Yeah. And keep an eye on the dollar bin for Star Trek comics. Yeah. And um, I guess we'll catch you next time. Asta won't because she's tipped over napping. Yes. She will catch you napping. Yes. Yes. Stay safe and warm. Thanks for listening, everyone.